Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Uh, My name's Andy. It's uh, great to be with you this evening. I'm the Minister for University Students here at Fullwood Church. And um, I wonder if you would just keep your Bible open at that passage in Philippians. We're going to be looking at it together for the next few minutes. Uh, There's a handout in the bundle of papers that you were given. And if you're a scribbler, you might find that helpful to follow along as well. And uh, I'm just going to pray for God's help as we dig into this passage together. So let's pray. Our Lord God, your word says that everything that was written in the past in the Bible was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we pray that this evening you would show us more of what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ and you would teach us endurance and encourage us with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. What will it take for the gospel to advance in Sheffield and in our region, and for that matter, across our nation? I just think about Sheffield region for a minute. Um, Just uh, around 2 million people in Sheffield and the surrounding region. Um, Statistics tell us about 2% or so of them go to church uh, regularly on a Sunday. And so many tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, precious people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and have little contact with the good news about him. We're few, they're many. How can the gospel advance? And we might add to that the fact that the culture that we live in seems to be increasingly secular and hostile to the gospel in many ways. It it feels as if not only are there so many precious people, but they're that bit further away in terms of where they start, that bit more indifferent that bit more hostile maybe. How can we advance the gospel, we who are so few? How can I be more effective in my personal living and speaking for Jesus? I don't know if you know um, uh, the experience of having all the right intentions. You know, I, I know it's not my job to make people Christians, but I want to be talking to people about Jesus, and yet the opportunities feel few and far between. That gap to um, my non-Christian friends feels large in some ways in terms of what they believe about the world. And there's a whole sea of indifference and hostility 
how can I be effective? How can the gospel advance? And listen, it may be that you're here this evening and you're just looking into Christian things and you would say, you're not really signed up for this whole idea of the gospel advancing, but you are just just weighing up whether it's true for yourself. And if that's you, let me say, um, the passage we're looking at this evening is great for thinking about how the Christian gospel might change you, if you like, how the gospel could advance and grow in your life if you were to sign up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Philippians 1, Paul has been, um, he's written to this church in Philippi, and up until now, he's really been describing his own situation. Um, He's in prison, probably in Rome. He's been talking about how hard it is in his chains, but he's been saying, look, it's all been worth it, because chapter 1, verse 12, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's been saying to them, don't wear a frown because I'm in prison. Rejoice, because it served to advance the gospel. And now, um, here in the passage that was read for us this evening, for the first time in the letter, really, Paul turns to the Philippians and to their situation. And um, chapter 1, verse 27, really is the headline for the rest of the letter. Paul lays out in a single verse, well, maybe a verse and a half, what the whole of Philippians is going to be about. And then he unpacks it for the rest of the letter. And here it is, the one thing that Paul wants us to know, that he wants us to do. Chapter 1, verse 27, have a look at it with me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says this one thing Whatever happens, um, uh, just down there in the verse, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in this absence, here in my absence, here's the one thing I want to know that you're doing, the one thing you've taken hold of. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If I can put it another way, Paul says, live as gospel citizens. Live as gospel citizens. Citizens. That, um, that phrase there in verse 27, conduct yourselves, um, it's, it's an unusual word that Paul uses there. It's not one that he uses very often. Um, it, it's a word that, that speaks about citizenship. So um, unfortunately, the church Bibles don't have a footnote, but, but if you've got your own Bible with you, a lot of Bibles have a footnote there which says, um, or conduct yourself as citizens. It's a word that comes for the word for a city. And Paul uses the noun form of the same word just over the page in chapter 3, verse 20. Maybe you just want to flip over to that quickly. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. You see, it's the noun form of the same word. Our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul says, listen, here's the one thing. Whatever happens, conduct yourself as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't know what kind of passport you have at home. Uh, I mean, only the Lord knows what will happen with Brexit, but at the moment, I have a maroon-coloured British passport because I am a British citizen. And um, maybe, you've got a, maybe you've got another one, maybe you've got American or German or Chinese or whatever it is. But although I have a British passport, at a deeper level, Paul says... My citizenship is in heaven. If I can put it like this, 
if you're a Christian here today, God has changed who you are by his gospel. You see, I used to be a person who lived in rebellion against God. I put myself at the center of my life. I created my identity. I decided what was right and wrong. And God, at best, lived somewhere out in the suburbs of my life. And so I didn't love God or others as I should. But the gospel of Christ that Paul describes there is the good news that Jesus, the real historical man, lived the life that I should have lived and died on a cross in my place, that he took the punishment that I deserve from God for the way that I treated him, rebelling against him, and that he rose again so that I could be welcomed in to his kingdom, into his family. And you see, this is the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the historical man from Nazareth, is God's king who he raised from the dead. And he's a savior who welcomes people into that kingdom. You see, he's, he's one who changes who you are. The gospel changes you from a rebel against God into a citizen of his kingdom with a new king, King Jesus, and a new home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this idea of citizenship is huge. Uh, Paul is saying that the first step to seeing the gospel advance is to changing how you think about yourself so that you realize that your real passport is in heaven by the gospel. Now just think about this idea of citizenship for a moment. Every, na- uh, every nation has its own culture and its own way of doing things. You know, if I said to you that someone was typically German... I don't know what you would imagine at that point, maybe very polite, very efficient, something like that. If I said they were typically Chinese, or typically French, or typically Dutch, or um, I'll see if there are any other nations in the room I can offend. But um, every nation has its own culture and its own way of doing things. Um, Some time ago, I spent a few months on a short-term mission in Argentina, in South America. And one of the things that I learned quite quickly about Argentinian culture is that it's very normal there for men, when they greet each other, to give each other a big kiss on the cheek. So the first Sunday I got to church, I was greeted with, you know, there must have been a hundred of these big, burly Argentinian blokes stubble, beards, all sorts of things, and I had to go around kissing them all on the cheek. And I tell you what, I've never felt so British in my entire life as I did at the end of that church service because every culture has its own way of doing things. You see, and Paul says, if you've believed the gospel, if Jesus is your king, then you have a new kind of citizenship And that means a new kind of culture, a new way of doing things. Live your life as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel, a gospel citizen. And of course, every culture has um, different things that they get excited about as well, don't they? Different festivals, different celebrations. Uh, I've got friends um, from uh, the USA who, who get really passionate about this weird thing called Independence Day, 
know, it's got something to do with tea and not having the queen on your coins. But they love it. And as a Brit, it, it doesn't really move me at all, to be honest. I, I'm just not feeling it. Um, I, I can't think why. But um, if you've believed the gospel, do you realize that changes who you are? No longer are you a British citizen or an American one or a Chinese one or a Dutch one or a German one or whatever it says on your passport. Not really, not deep down. You belong with Jesus in heaven. And so the things that you celebrate, the things that you rejoice in are to be different. Uh, not, the, um, not the trivia of this world. Will I get a first or won't I? Am I on the top career path to the top of the greasy pole or not? But the things that really matter in the kingdom of heaven, gospel things. My friend came to church. What a joy. Those six-year-olds this morning really seemed to understand the passage from Genesis that we were looking at together, really seemed to take it on board. Rejoice. I suspect there are many in our churches who um, live a bit like refugees or asylum seekers, you know, doing all that they can to pass the citizenship test. And, if, and they think if only they can, they can do enough good in their lives, then they'll be welcomed into heaven at the end. And Paul's not saying that here. He's not saying work really hard to become a citizen. The gospel changes your citizenship. Jesus welcomes you into the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. If you trust him, he welcomes you into his kingdom. But if you're a citizen of that kingdom, live like one. You see, the first step to the advance of the gospel in our city, in our region, and in our lives is to think of ourselves rightly as citizens of the gospel. And so um, when you go into work tomorrow morning, there'll be enormous temptation to think about yourself first and foremost as, I don't know, a teacher, an accountant, um, a carpenter, whatever it is you do. But Paul says, no, no, if you're a Christian, you're a gospel citizen. It's not what would a teacher do in this situation. What would a citizen of heaven do in this situation? Not what would a teacher rejoice in today, but what would a citizen of heaven rejoice in today? And so you see, the first step is to see your life differently. Live as a gospel citizen. And someone will say, look, that's all very abstract and airy-fairy. Are we really going to change the, the, the whole region that we live in and our nation and our world by thinking differently about Monday morning? Well, I want to say yes, but Paul is going to help us to see why by showing us in a bit more detail what it will look like if you live your life as a citizen of the gospel. And so look again at verse 27 with me, won't you? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. 
Do you see, Paul colours in what it looks like when someone realises that they are a citizen of God's kingdom. And the main thing, the main verb, the, the, the key point is this, stand firm in one spirit. And then, do you see, Paul breaks it down for us with two smaller points that sort of colour that in. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel and not being frightened. So let's think each one of those through just for a minute. What does it mean to stand firm in one spirit? It's, um, it's the picture of a legion of Roman soldiers. You know, Paul's there in prison, chained to Roman soldiers, and maybe this is going through his mind. The legion of Roman soldiers, shields locked together, standing firm, going forward together. We might think of a more modern example, the, uh, the rugby team gathering together for the scrum, standing firm, one purpose, one spirit, shoulder to shoulder, moving forward together. And you see, Paul says, if you're a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of the gospel you will play your part in the gospel team. Uh, thinking of yourself in these terms will inevitably make you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with other Christians for the sake of the gospel to be rooted deeply, to be standing firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Striving together or contending as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, That word striving or contending, uh, it basically means working really hard. Uh, It's another sports word. It's actually, it's the word that we get our word athletics from. The image here is of the sports team. And you know, um, the coaches always say, don't they, the team really gave it 110% this week. And I'm not a mathematician, so that doesn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers some of you. But it's the image of busting a gut, sweat and blood, and giving everything, not leaving anything back in the locker room, but putting it all out on the pitch, working hard, striving together as a team, doing everything they can. For what goal? The faith of the gospel. Uh, Notice, not, not something subjective, not my faith or a gospel, how I experience God or something like that, something objective, the faith of the gospel, this is a team that plays together for the the message about Jesus being heard, the public declaration that Jesus is Lord and Saviour to go out. And Paul says, look, if you get that the gospel has made you part of Jesus' kingdom, one of his citizens... You will inevitably roll up your sleeves and do everything you can together to see the gospel go forward and for people to hear about Jesus. If I understand the gospel, that it's not just a a, a sort of um, a a lifestyle choice or something like that, but actually, um, actually brings me into a whole new kingdom... There's just no way that I can sit on the sidelines of church or just go to the meetings but never serve or never invest in people. Because gospel citizens see themselves as part of the team. They roll up their sleeves and they strive together for the sake of the gospel. They contend as one. They work together. 
What does this mean in practice? Well, for the Philippians, it looked like a number of things that you can see in the letter. Um, it, it looked like funding Paul's gospel ministry. But if you look at the end of Philippians, um, in your own time, if you look at the end of Philippians, Paul is basically writing to say, thank you for giving me all the money that's helped to sustain my ministry. Thank you for the gifts. And so gospel citizens are those who open their wallets and fund gospel ministry. Uh, for the Philippians, it looked like praying for Paul. It, it looked like sending one of their best guys, Epaphroditus, to go and help Paul while he was in prison. And gosh, we find that hard, don't we? The thought that some of our best would go out to help with gospel ministry elsewhere. But Paul says that's what it means in practice, to contend together, to strive together for the sake of the gospel. I take it it'll mean working hard for the advance of the gospel in the place that God has put us. Uh, I've got this friend uh, down in London called, um, called Stephen, and Stephen uh, works in IT uh, in a big office in London. He has an enormous bowl of chocolate bars on his desk, and um, Every now and again, one of his colleagues will come by and say, Stephen, could I, um, could I have one of the chocolate bars on your desk? And he says, oh, yeah. Um, actually, um, there's a little Christian meeting on Thursday. Come with me to the Christian meeting, and you can have a chocolate bar. And, um, and I know what you're thinking. It's probably not the most persuasive or ethical way to get people to come to church to bribe them with chocolate. But... Here is a guy who goes to work every day and says, I'm going to do something to get talking to people about Jesus Christ for the advance of the gospel. Now, you can probably already think of a way of making those conversations happen that's a bit, you know, less, uh, I don't know, bribery-based than the bowl of chocolates. And if you can't, why not just roll with the bowl of chocolates? I don't mind. Here is someone who goes to work and he doesn't say, what would an IT professional do? He says, what would a gospel citizen do? And so he's rolled up his sleeves and he's doing what he can for the advance of the gospel where God has put him. I think of another friend who pours his efforts into the junior Christian union at the school that he teaches teachers at, someone else who's um, working really hard to make friends on their course, and they don't find them that easy, but they want to have real meaningful friendships with some guys who don't know Jesus, so that you know, when events week rolls around, they can invite them with integrity as those they love. Supremely, though, I think it'll mean working hard for the gospel together, where God has put us uh, um, as, um, as Christians together within the church. Um, it's why we're so passionate about home groups here at Fullwood Church, a smaller group of pe- uh, Christians where you can really encourage one another to live distinctive lives for Jesus. But of course, having home groups is only really going to help us if we're committed to taking the Bible and actually encouraging one another to live it out, how are you getting on at work? How are you finding um, not retaliating at work? How are you finding being kind and gentle and generous? And when was the last time you had an opportunity to speak of Jesus? Working hard for the gospel together as a team. Uh, Listen, one of the great encouragements for me this year has been seeing a handful of um, students become Christians. We praise God for that incredible thing. Hey, it's lovely to have some of you here this evening. Can I tell you how much joy 
that you bring me if you're, you're one of those guys. Become a Christian this year. Experience tells me that it's very rare for someone with one Christian friend to become a Christian. That one individual who talks to them and talks to them. That's often how it starts. But again and again, experience tells me that it's the people who are welcomed in to the Christian community, who are invited to meet a number of my Christian friends, who who just get stuck into knowing people, who see how Christians love one another, who see them together contending for the gospel. That humanly speaking, very often it's those that God is at work and moves them to trust him. Working hard for the gospel together, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. I wonder if there are people that you could just invite to meet your Christian mates and spend time with you and see how it goes. Gospel citizens play their part in the gospel team. But then did you notice the other, the other little descriptive in verse 28? Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And listen, this is really important. It's important that we don't miss this. Paul is writing from prison because he preached about Jesus. And yet he says it's okay because um, I know that I'll be with Christ when I die. Uh, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first and that no servant is greater than his master. See, Paul says very clearly, it's there in black and white, if I roll up my sleeves and I get involved in gospel teamwork for the advance of the gospel, I will face opposition at different times. I know I've told some of you about my friend um, who posted something on her, on her Facebook wall um, explaining the Christian position on marriage and uh, later that week was called into her boss's office to explain what she could ever possibly think she was doing, putting that on her personal Facebook. And um, for her, it would have been really easy to be frightened and just keep her head down and never say anything about being a Christian again. But she's gently carried on in that job, just, just going about the Christian life and talking to people when she can, not frightened by those who oppose her. And of course, we feel the cultural pressure, don't we, as Christians? We feel it as a church, the pressure not to stand on what the Bible says on all manner of issues. And Paul says that gospel citizens who play their part stand firm, that we're lovingly bold, that we keep on insisting that the Bible is true and that the message it teaches is life-changing even under pressure. But look, if we're going to do that, we need to do it together. Remember, the image isn't of the lone ranger, but the rugby scrum. The centurion standing shoulder to shoulder with their shields, going forward together. We need to encourage one another to keep being bold for Jesus in these situations. It'd be crazy to do it on our own. How will we change Sheffield, our region, our culture? Well, it starts by recognizing that we are gospel citizens. And as we see that, we just have to roll up our sleeves and get involved, play our part on the gospel team, even if it's hard, even if there are people who hate us 
for it. But what difference will it make, Paul? What difference will it make? And Paul says, finally, it is a sign of gospel grace. To do this is a sign of gospel grace. Just look again at verse 28. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Uh, One of the slightly sad things that I love um, when I go on holiday is looking out for the um, sort of outrageous road signs that you would just never see in the UK. Do you know the sort of thing, you know, beware wildebeest crossing, penguins on the loose, that kind of thing. I remember seeing one in South Africa, and um, I kid you not, it was one of those red warning triangles, um, and inside the warning triangle, there was... um, There was a person in a wheelchair rolling backwards down a hill, and at the bottom of the hill was a crocodile with its mouth open. Okay, I'm still trying to work out what exactly that was warning us about, you know, don't leave granny at the top of the, you know, crocodile-infested river. Anyway, um, Paul says when Christians stand together for the gospel... When we lovingly, firmly, and boldly keep going, standing on the truth of the Bible and sharing it where we can, even though we face opposition for it, in a culture that throws around terms like bigot, and in an office where um, we worry that we might be the next one called up by our boss to discuss the thing we put on Facebook... When Christians stand firm and keep going, keep living for Jesus and talking, uh, speaking for him, it is a big public sign of what we believe about eternity. It shouts loud, it shows boldly that we believe that there is another king, another home, and another future that we are citizens of heaven and that we live for him and not for ourselves or for other people. And did you notice in verse 28, it's a sign that works in two ways, a sign to them that they will be destroyed and a sign that you will be saved by God. Uh, You see, if um, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, judge of the living and the dead, then there is only one future for the person who opposes him, the person who attacks his citizens, his kingdom. And Paul says that that future destruction is is signposted loud and clear, everyone to see when Christians stand firm under opposition. Now look, people won't always see it, they won't always understand it, but when a Christian in their office refuses to retaliate, when they refuse to, to dig back at the, um, the, the banter that's being used to uh, mock them for being a Christian, when they, um, when they keep patiently speaking about Jesus, even though it'd be better for their career not to, it shouts out, there is a heaven, there is a God, and that you need to make peace with him. It's a sign. But it's also a sign for us, a sign that we are citizens that we're part of the family, that we will be saved by Jesus on the day that he returns, but by our, our God. 
And the reason is fascinating. Did you notice in verse 29? For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word in verse 29 for granted is the word for a gift of God's grace. It's been given to you on behalf of Christ. Our God has been so kind to us, the Bible says. God gave us his son to die on a cross for us. He's even given us, according to this verse, the faith to believe in his son and take hold of him for ourselves. He's given us all sorts of spiritual gifts. There's the, um, the uncontroversial ones like teaching or administration. There's the, the slightly more controversial ones that uh, we won't get into this evening. But here is a gift that we don't talk about nearly enough. Because Paul says it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle that you saw I had and see that I I now still have. You see, God in his kindness doesn't just give us Jesus, doesn't just give us the faith to believe in Jesus, but gets us involved in the team facing the opposition of Jesus and seeking to uh, advance his gospel. It's not that all suffering is a gift from God. Goodness me, no. The Bible's got an enormous amount to say about the question of suffering. Hey, one way of looking at the whole Bible is that it's a book about the question of suffering and pain in our world. A big, multifaceted and deep answer the Bible gives to the question of suffering. But, but this one kind of suffering, opposition to our seeking to advance the gospel, the opponents of the gospel team, well, Paul says that one is a gift from God because it's a sign that you are playing for the team. It's a sign that you really are a citizen. It's the family likeness. Just as Jesus was opposed, so his followers are. Are you facing hard times for being a Christian? Are you feeling the pressure from your mates at school, from from friends at uni, from colleagues, from your boss on you for being a Christian and being open about it? Well, be encouraged. That's a sign from God that you really are one of his people, that his salvation is yours. Are you struggling with doubt at the moment? about whether you, you really know Jesus or not. Well, listen, do think about the issues and the, the questions around that. Of course, think about things and, and, and read things that will help you, but have you considered rolling up your sleeves and getting serving the cause of the gospel? Have you considered rolling up your sleeves and playing for the team? It's, it's very hard to feel part of the team when you're on the bench and you're not playing. And Paul says it's a gift of God to give us that that assuring sign that we really are citizens of heaven when we play the game, when we stand firm 
and we're not frightened by the opposition. How will the gospel advance in Sheffield, in this region, in this nation? Well, under God, it starts with the way that we think about our lives. Live as who you are, a citizen, a gospel citizen, a citizen of heaven. And that overspills into our behavior. Play your part on the team with the result that we see gospel grace, that big, bold sign of it in the lives of every Christian. Amen.